Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Today's lesson, that's a series, is Our Walk in Christ, is what we're going to look at today. And let's just, um, before I begin, let's just have a short prayer that God had touched us. Speaking of his word, let's ask him to bless it, that we not only can hear it, but retain it. And he could bless and bless me and bless you. And let's pray. God, I love you today. I love and I thank you. And Father, we ask you right now in Jesus' name that you would touch us. You would strengthen us each and every one. So Father, as we shed this word, God, I pray for your holy anointing that you would touch us each and every one. Father, we thank you for what you've given us, Lord God. We thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it, Lord God. Touch us. Touch ever every bit of this word that will be shared this day. Place your anointing upon it. And Father, we will thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Our walk in Christ. It says, because God has given us, because God has given us a holy calling, we must walk worthy of the calling we have received. Now, the scripture setting is in Ephesians Ephesians 1, but I'm going to read Ephesians 1 through 3. And it says it like this. Therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech ye that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity in the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the first character that it speaks about here is Samson. It talks about Samson. But one, one thing I want to read, and I just want to, a lot has happened in our, in our world, in our society. And it talks today about our walk, a continual walk. I've said I believed we live in 24-hour cycles. We just, you know, we are trapped in this, and I say trapped loosely, but we are fixed in the present. We say we have a past, but it's basically a recorded past. We speak of the future like it's guaranteed. That's if the Lord willing we have a future. But really what we have is the here and now is what we have. And, but the, I'm going to just read two scriptures to you. They're from the book of Jeremiah. And really when you hear this, you want to ask yourself, because when you read this chapter, you're talking about chaos. There is chaos. And the first thing that you really want to ask yourself is why is these two verses put in the middle 
of this chapter. But then, those that know the Lord, thinking, and I, and I just liken this to our world with everything that's been going on. This is just the nature of the Lord. Why not put these two verses in the middle of this? In the middle of all this chaos, this is what Jeremiah put. And this chapter is speaking of nothing but God is going to hold them accountable. It is speaking of nothing but death. I'll just tell you that. But this is what the Lord chose to put in. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord." The two words that sticks out to me, I am the Lord which exercise. If we know anything about exercise, it's not a one-time deal. God said, I exercise in this. And then he says, for in these things I delight. It is of my pleasure. So in all of this chaos, God said, put these two verses in me. Put these two verses that's speaking of me. So in the world in which we live, we cannot become so distracted by what is going on on the outside that we forget who we serve. We serve a loving God that, yes, is going to hold requirements of us, but we can't let what's going on outside over, override what we know in the Lord. But we truly serve a good God. And, and truly, I said the, the first character... Is speaking of Samson. And one thing that I think that we can do and when we speak of characters in the Bible that we can put them on such a high level that we think we could never obtain to that. And I think that we should guard ourselves against that because I believe when it speaks of men and women in the Bible, they are and were people just like us. That we should look at it like that. It is someone that God anointed. It is someone that God used who is just like or could be just like us. It's not somebody that God just picked out, but it is somebody that God chose to use among the people that was one of them that would uh, uh, give their self to the Lord. And it's not that just that we come in and when you find yourself and, and you see someone that's mightily used of the Lord. And, you know, it, it would be the easiest cop out to say, well, they're just favored of the Lord. No. They have given their self to the Lord. They have dedicated their self to the Lord. That is why God is favoring them. Because it's of the time and effort that they have put in. But I promise you, when they started out, they was just like everybody else. Now, God has people that he uses for sure, but he does this. The interesting thing that it speaks of, of Samson, that he was to be a Nazarite from his birth. He takes this. Now, 
when you look at a Nazarite, number six, when you go back to the book of Numbers in the sixth chapter, it speaks of the Nazarite vow. It takes and it lays it out. What's concerning this, how it's going to be applied, the requirements of it, it all speaks there. But Samson was the first one mentioned in Scripture to become a Nazarite. So he takes, and he's, he, he's got this. So, but the first part of Samson that is recorded in Scripture is where he goes down to Timnath, and he sees this woman, and he wants to be married to her. So naturally, his parents tried to discourage him. It does not happen. He marries this woman, and then the Bible records we are just given a glimpse into this. He goes down. His parents try to discourage him. He sees this woman. He wants her. He marries her. But the Bible says not long after this, she was taken and given to his, the Bible says, companion. So a friend of his, his wife was taken from Samson and given to his companion. But, you know, but there again, here is Samson, a Nazarite from birth. The Lord would come upon him mightily, and then we would see this incredible strength. You know, and, and if we view, if we view Samson, in which people that has drew Samson and, and just our picture, we always go to the flesh. We want to see Samson with just him muscled out, you know, Dare I say that Samson probably looked just like me. Now you really didn't have to laugh there. Because if we view Samson all muscled out, we take away from the Lord. That's why I think Samson was just an ordinary man with not bulging muscles that it was the Spirit of God moving on that gave him his incredible strength. It was not people that's looking at his 24-inch arms. You know, oh, that's where he gets his strength. His strength comes from the flesh. His strength did not come from the flesh. It was the anointing of God where he got his strength. So, but as time uh, progressed and, and in Samson's walk, he allowed himself to become distracted. Now here again, he is called, God chose him. There was an angel, literally. It's a little bit humorous how it happened. An angel went to his mother. He's taken, and the angel goes to his mother and tells her, you're going to have a child. His mother was barren. You're going to have a child. It's going to be a Nazarite from his birth. When, when the angel leaves, she tells her husband, and he's like, really? We don't know what to do. You know, these are my words. We need to call that angel back. We need to pray that God would send that angel back. And they pray. I assume the husband prays harder. The angel comes back. And the husband is saying, look, we need to fix you something neat. And the Bible lays it out that the husband, it hadn't dawned on him. He is speaking to an angel. He keeps trying to tell the angel, I want to feed you. I want to feed you. And the angel is saying, if no, no, I'm not here to eat. If you want to do an offering, do a burnt offering to the Lord. 
So he does, and it's just almost funny the way it happened. But the Bible records this. They make a burnt offering, he does, to the Lord. And when the flame went up, the angel went up in the flame, and guess what? The Bible literally records that's when her husband believed he was an angel. So I don't know if he was an early Thomas or what, but he didn't believe until he seen the angel go up in the fire. But that was his parents. So they literally seen that their son was going to be different. He was called by the Lord. He was called to be this. So he took and he didn't, he didn't want to do this. And the sad thing about it, it was, it was in his anointing. Now, and really to me, what is sad in this is where the enemy, when they got Samson, because when Samson went down to look at the woman, the Bible records that he said this to his parents, get her for me basically because she pleaseth me. So with his eyes, he desired her. So what's the first thing the enemy does to him? They put out his eyes. And so, but really thinking about this, that's what the enemy will do to me. It's just whatever our downfall is, the enemy wanted to make Samson live with. The last thing you know is what you desired that you knew you shouldn't have will haunt you the rest of your days because you knew you shouldn't have her but your eyes desired her and she did so that was with his and the Bible says one of his vows was in his hair that it should not be cut and some have said that Samson's strength was in his hair well his strength was in his vow not to cut his hair so that's where his, his strength you know Am I trying to, you know, nitpick? I don't think so. His strength was not in his hair as his strength was not in his muscles. His strength was in obeying the vow of the Nazarite. So when he took and he did this, now, but literally when they captured Samson, they put out his eyes, they chained him, they made him grind. So Samson's life was all of a sudden this strong man literally through the anointing of God was reduced to being going round and round and the enemy just poked fun at him, made fun of him and then we see this as Samson's story. Now, but in the end, in the end of Samson's life, we should never really forget Samson's story and, but it's like this. You can look at it as mercy and you can look at it God anointing. There's two ways I think you could look at this, the end of Samson's life. It was God anointing Samson or God honoring the Nazarite vow because we see this in Samson's words. Here he is, the enemy has took out his eyes, they've shaved his head and they take and they're making fun of him and they bring him out for one purpose, and that is to make fun of him. So all these dignitaries had gathered, but here Samson prayed to the Lord, the Nazarite from birth, and I think it was two things. 
I think it was God's mercy that did this and God looking on the Nazarite vow. Even though his head was shaved and his eyes was out, Samson asked God one more time. One more time, anoint me. You could say, Samson, you've lost it. You have no more hair and your eyes is out and you have disgraced your vow. But don't forget, here's a God that the Old Testament says, you do it right or I'll take your life. And, and, and here is proof. Samson didn't have the strength within his self to bring down that building. And he told the lad, take me to the pillars. And you read the story. Samson said, God, basically these are my words, but it's the story. One more time, anoint me with that strength. And God did. So all them ones that had poked fun of him that was enemies of Israel paid with their life. Now, God did through his mercy. And that's why I say it's, it's literally God. Things can go wrong, but with Samson, he literally there at the last said, God, I want to correct this. I want to correct this one more time. Put your anointing on me. Now, it's interesting to know of the Nazarites for life, there's only three recorded in the Bible. That is Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. And Samson is literally the only one that is called a Nazarite. Now, and then we have, we know that. So that is, that is one thing about Samson. You can look at it like, wow, in his walk, he went so far wrong. But I would choose to look at Samson knew where his strength was. And then when it was all said and done, he knew his strength didn't come from his hair, didn't come from anything else, from his own ability. His strength come from the Lord. And in that prayer that he asked God, God honored that prayer. And that's what I choose to look at because we all going to make mistakes. We all going to make mistakes, but we know where our help is in this walk. And the Bible makes mention of, of our walk. It is, speaks of a run, and, and at times, you know, to, to, to run this race. Yes there, yes, there are times I believe it's literally a fast pace, but more than other, we are just told to get up, put on your shoes, wash your face. Even if you're fasting, the Bible says, Wash your face. Get up. Don't let people know. If you're fasting, basically don't let people know you're fasting. Get up. Wash your face. Walk this course that you're walking because you have a purpose, and that's what we're doing. And with a proper relationship with the Lord, making him the Lord, the Lord of our lives, that, just like Samson, that's where we bring glory to the Lord is in doing this. And literally, the purpose of our walk in the Lord is to become closer to Him. Because it, it has been said so many times, the reason as parents that the fence is put up is to guard the children. And literally. And that's why when, when Sister Rayleigh and they went off and come back, I've never forgot this. When they come off, they went to that uh, Sunday school thing is the, the speaker said that nowhere in the Bible are we referred to as adults. 
we are always referred to as the children of God. You know, what, and literally what I take, we're all different, but what I take that to mean is we do not graduate, so to speak, in this. We are always referred to as God's children. We are sons and daughters. And just like we take and if we have raised our children, you know, I'm, I'm 63 and my parents would probably still look at me as probably someone that needs, still needs correction. <laughs> so we won't ask them. They're not here, so we won't ask them for a response. But it, the Bible says, let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. We are expected to make every conceivable effort with all diligence to keep the unity of the spirit. We must first come to grips with the fact that the church is comprised of imperfect, really, but I go there, imperfect people. Well, that can't be right because I go there. The church has got to be perfect because I go there. You know, and really and truly, if we can come to that conclusion and really, truly believe it, I'm not saying to outright condone sin. I'm not saying if we, if we truly can see that, truly can see that, then we can have a lot more compassion with people because we're just flesh and blood. When you go to the very beginning of the book and read it doesn't take long to realize man has already made mistakes. And what I figure that we should use, or what I know we should use really, is the pattern that God chose with his people. God was harsh. He was straight. But overall, he always had mercy and compassion. And anyone that drew close to him, God always made a way. So as this we see... And maintaining, we can see this truth. And maintaining this goal through the power of the Holy Ghost, unity in of itself is a gift to the church. But the maintenance has got to be entrusted to the saints. And the way, the way I would look at that and the way I have looked at that is this. When Lazarus died, okay, Jesus goes to the tomb Mary and Martha is there like, you know, really, really, four days? You really shouldn't do this, you know. And I believe they was just being honest. They was just being honest. And, I, you know, if really, think about it in your, in your terms. If someone you love has been passed away for four days and God said, I'm going to bring him back. I believe they were speaking just from a, a human point of view. And the Lord tells Lazarus to come forth, he does. But when he looks at them, now, he was bound in grave clothes. The Bible says head to foot. So he comes out, and then the Lord looks at them and says, loose him and let him go. And I look at that like, here the Lord raised him from the dead, but there was still work to be done. And the way I look at it is he would look to the church and said, loose him and let him go. 
And that's going to take wisdom to do that. So here is Lazarus. He's raised from the dead, but he's bound with grave clothes. He still has to be loosed. How can he loose his self when he's bound? So he looks at them. Now, this, and one thing, it is said, other words, why is humanity so strong? And I'll use me for an example. If I have an issue with not telling the truth, why is it human nature for me to be so hard on someone who I think is not telling the truth if I have such an issue with it? But if I can accept and understand that God loves me and has forgiven me and the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive, then why would I not forgive those that are to be the closest to me? You know, that would be, that would be, that would be just wrong. So the Bible says, if I can love one another and accept one another's faults, I'm, and here again, I'm not talking about sins, just pure we're not talking about that. Everybody has problems and everybody's unique. And I, and, and I have said for a long time, I'm different just like you. Everybody has different um, characters. So, but we have a tendency to do that. You know, if I just can't tell the truth about something, and then when somebody tells the truth, skin them, you know, get them, get them, get them. You know, it really shouldn't be that way. Because God is merciful with me. So I should be merciful to someone else. Now, unity in the church can only be maintained through the loving efforts of believers who continue to respect one another's differences and bear one another's weaknesses. And one thing I have to remember here again, as much as I hate to admit it, this is not about me. If someone don't sing like I want to or do like I want to, then I got to be the first one. This is about unity. This is not about me. This is about bringing edification to the body. This is part of my body, but it's not the whole body. It takes everything to make up my whole body. But when this starts to think it's the whole body <laughs> then we have an issue so I can't come to church and think you know he preached 31 minutes I only wanted 30 minutes so I th that's a little too long you know I can't make it all about me you know it's really and truly I can't do that this is not about me this is about the Lord bringing glory to him and edifying one another and there again, that all depends, I think, on how I look at it from a biblical point of view, really and truly. Now, we do strife within the body taints the beauty of the Lord's death and makes his word unattractive to the world. And that I would know. Because how many people have we seen and heard with our own eyes? If that's the way that church is, well, then I don't want to go. And what they're basing it on is one person. 
And that's really unfortunate. That is really unfortunate. When someone would base an entire congregation off of one individual. And it could be that I was somewhere and just got to the tipping point and, you know, just tipped over a little bit and somebody saw me and, man, that dude's got an attitude. If that's what that church is like, then I don't want no part of it. And I have damaged the reputation of the church. Not really meaning to, but really and truly I have. And But that's really what happens, you know. But they're on the opposite end of that spectrum. If someone sees something happen and just says, you know what, that's okay. Somebody says, you know what, really? He goes to that church? <laughs> maybe, we need, maybe we need to look into that, you know. Maybe we do. Unity is everyone's responsibility. It really is. Our best contribution to the gospel of Jesus is to maintain unity of the spirit. Five ministries are given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The church's maturity and function depend on a balanced ministry. The apostles' calling is to take the gospel to the virgin territories and establish churches. Prophets are those endowed by God with the ability to give direction and warning to the church. Evangelists have, have been gifted with the ability to share the gospel of Jesus with clarity to see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost to those in need of salvation. Pastors are shepherds who care for the flock of God and they are called to feed God's flock with the word of God. Teachers are those endowed with a special gift of explaining the word of God. The lift of ministries... The list of ministries link pastors and teachers closely together, indicating that the same individuals commonly fill both roles. Now, Paul told the Ephesians, these five ministries are given to the church for the perfecting of the saints, that they could be completely furnished. God said, I'm doing everything I can. Well, that's a human term. I really shouldn't put it like that. God said, I'm giving you every available effort, every ministry that you need. In other words, you have everything you need. You are being equipped to do this in your walk. The ministry not only equips individuals, believers, but also sets them in the rightful place for the work of the ministry. Now, we have always said especially coming from a proactive church, that you are called to minister. You are called basically to do something. It is why we have been encouraged when we come into church to worship the Lord, to be, to be active in worship, not to just come in. If, if a new convert comes in, not to just come in and go through uh, the salvation realm and then just sit on a pew and just say okay I'm waiting on the Lord to come we believe that every individual has a ministry of some type and that's why it said to walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called so everyone has that but as the church is uh, is, continues to be edified by the work the corporate body begins to grow individual believers 
mature spiritually as we receive the teaching from them parts of the ministry. Now, individual maturity on an individual on the individual means a process of putting off the old man. We are buried with Jesus, the Bible says, in baptism. And that ultimately helps us to shed the old man because all things, according to the Bible, are literally washed away. But there's another kind of burial of putting off the old man through consecration. Consecration is making a decision to give something completely to God. In consecration, we set ourselves aside for God, and the term holiness has the same meaning in Scripture, to be consecrated unto the Lord. It is just in our walk to follow the Lord, to follow God's work. Now, I want to use an example I think everyone can relate to, especially at this type of the season. There is where the Dallas Cowboys play in the stadium. You see these screens up here. That screen in that stadium, I don't know if you're good with numbers, but just try to picture this, is 160 foot long, this LED, 70 72 foot tall and at a cost of 40 million dollars now while they're playing football the issue is not to see if they stepped on the line to see if they touched the line they will show replay They'll call a timeout. They have people that goes back and looks at that, slows it down. And so the people in there, um, while you're sitting home watching it on your device, the people in there on this gigantic LED system is seeing this in real time, watching. But the purpose, the purpose is, is we have to get it right. So they take and do this. And what they're doing is the opposing team, when they make the decision, then part of them looks like a fish threw out on the bank. They don't really agree with it. They're upset. But in the end, basically everyone's accepted, accepted because those are the rules. And, you know, dare I say, that's just entertainment. In every facet of our lives... We live by rules. So God said, holiness, consecration is just when you set yourself apart to God, you will be rewarded. Holiness is just literally for one purpose, and that's just to draw nigh to God. When you take and do this, you're not just saying, you know, I... I want to be so close to God that, that God will share things with me. That's not the purpose. Holiness and consecration is just literally a shutting off of the world, doing away with the world, and I want to understand, just like I read in Jeremiah when he said, if you want to glory in something, you glory that you know me because that's worth glorying about. And that's what, the, that's what the lesson is speaking about, to be consecrated, to give something to the Lord. Because what you give to him, 
he will give so much more in return back. For Samson, his consecration was demonstrated in the Nazarite vow. Now, like Samson, anyone who took the Nazarite vow in Scripture made sacrifices for the sole purpose of drawing closer to the Lord. And we can only overcome the world when our minds receive the manna from the word. Our minds control the actions and attitudes and must be renewed in order to function properly under the kingdom of God's new laws. Because the Bible says old things have passed away. New things have become what they are. The new birthers is, is necessary for initial salvation and we are also urged to undergo a daily process of renewing of the mind. The word of God and the anointing of preaching and teaching of that word can renew our mind and we are under, we understand and follow the will of the Lord. Putting on the new man just literally means taking on the image of the Lord. That's what it means. The new birth imparts a nature that is born in the image as this daily process begins. As we embrace the truth and wash our minds in God's words, the result is a dedicated life based on the pattern or the image of our Lord. And children often mimic their parents for good or for bad. They will do it. But Jesus said, I speak that which I have seen with my father, so you do that which you have seen with your father. He was telling them, maturity is a process that will take time. But as a believer grows in Christ and puts away certain vices, God desires to replace them vices with virtues of him. We know he'll do that. He never takes away without replenishing. He will never do that. Paul explains and explains that God expects his people to be kind to one another. This verse speaks of a, a practical kindness that is displayed by seeking the prosperity and benefit of our brother rather than our own will. And I'm telling you, that is not our nature. That is not the real me. Only God can do that. Within my human nature, that is not what that just said. That takes the spirit of God to accomplish that. And when you mature in the Lord, when you can give yourself over to your brother and your sister in human kindness, that turns into godly kindness. That is maturing. This is what Isaiah said. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should be no more over the earth, so have I sworn not to be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. This is God. Now, in closing, I want to read you in uh, Picasso he produced more than 13,500 paintings and designs 100,000 prints and engravings 34,000 book illustrations 300 sculptures and ceramics and one such painting entitled The Dream was completed in 1932 now in 1997 
the dream was bought for $47 million. And he, it was kept for a while, and the individual that owned it was going to sell it. And he had a record deal for $139 million. So that's quite a profit from 47 to 139. So what the gentleman was doing is where he had it displayed, he was standing very close to it. And, but in the sale, when it was really agreed upon, 139 million, he stumbled and he put out his elbow and what he'd done is with his elbow, he punched a six-inch hole in that. So his $139, $139 million sale evaporated. So you can put it all, your daily walk can put it all in just what you see with your eyes. Or you can put it all in the Lord. Because as Samson, he... That's why I believe it was the two things, mercy and remembering the vow. Because you can say, was it just to Samson? Was it just to Samson to say, you was born and you was born a Nazarite? In other words, you didn't have no say in this. But in the end, when everything had went wrong, Samson had put his hope in the Lord. He said, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what was in Samson's mind. But this I do know, and the Bible records it, is when everything looked so bleak and the enemy was making fun and they had literally formed a celebration for one purpose. We gonna ridicule God's man. But what they didn't know is God's man was a Nazarite. And you might make fun of him, but God didn't hold that. He held that sacred. And when Samson made that cry, God heard that Nazarite. And he avenged him. In fact... Samson said, avenge me for my eyes. They have took that which I made a mistake on. If that was selfish, that was between him and God. But this, Samson didn't put it in the world. When it counted, Samson knew where his strength came from. And he called on at the last time. And we walk literally day by day. And we can't forget where our strength comes from. We face a lot. We're all different. We go through different things. And each day learning what we know to build ourselves and to learn ourselves in God's word, that is where our strength comes from. I want to ask you to stand if you would. And let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means, Lord Jesus. Touch us each and every one. God, we ask that you right now just seal this word, Lord God, for I know it is alive and well. Touch us, God. Strengthen us, Lord God, I pray. Have your way this day, Lord God. I pray that you would touch 
and anoint us right now. Thank you, God, for your holy word. I love and I praise you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.